Find a stillness, hold a stillness, let a stillness carry me. Find the silence, hold the silence, let the silence carry me. In the spirit, by the spirit, with the spirit giving power, I will find true harmony. Well, good morning and welcome to you this morning. My name is Kate Dean and I'm delighted to be leading the service for you again, once again. I'm in my final year of ministerial training at Oxford and I'm also one of the many Unitarians who seem to be studying at Heathrop College at the moment. Today marks the second Sunday of Advent, so I will light our Advent candles with these words. In this holy season, may the darkness of winter be dispelled in this festival of lights and may the darkness of ignorance be dispelled in the strength of compassion, reason and sharing. We also light our chalice candle this morning as a symbol of our Unitarian free and religious faith. May this flame be as the light of knowledge in our minds and the, the warmth of love in our hearts. I invite you now into a time of prayer and reflection. Spirit of life and love, God of our hearts, as we seek connection with someone, something beyond ourselves, we remain humbled at the awesome complexity of the universe the miracle of creation, and the grace of the ultimate spirit. In this time of prayer, let us give thanks for our community and our many gifts by naming our blessings quietly to ourselves in these moments of stillness. Recognising our woes and faults, let us sit quietly with those parts of ourselves which cause us discomfort, with a spirit of gentle understanding and forgiveness.
spirit of the divine self, we open up our hearts to listen to the wisdom of that still, small voice that may speak in these quiet moments. God of our hearts, let this small act of worship send a ripple of loving kindness from this place to our loved ones, our acquaintances and the wider world, so we may become the embodiment of divine love. May it be so. Amen. have a story for you which is uh, about Henry that's Henry David Thoreau for people who know now Henry sat in front of his little cabin in one of his three chairs listening to the evening you might have thought that there was nothing to listen to there was certainly no television or iPod or internet back then and those those sorts of uh, Devices wouldn't be invented for possibly another hundred years or so. There was no one to talk, talk to and no aeroplanes buzzing overhead, no radio coming from next door. And in fact, Mr Emerson's house, which was his closest thing to a next-door neighbour, was well over a mile away and he didn't even have a radio, so um, there's certainly no sounds coming from that direction Even the natural world was still. No wind rippled the pond outside his cabin, and the birds had stopped singing because the night was approaching. Still, Henry listened to the tiniest sounds, a small fish breaking the surface of the water and and then splashing down again, the crackle of the leaves as a little mouse scuttled by the sound of the wings of the crow that flapped past. To him, all of these miniature sounds were music. Of course, most of the townspeople just thought he was crazy to decide to build this tiny cabin um, from used materials from his friend Mr Emerson's uh, wood, wood pile by Walden Pond. They thought, why would a a promising writer want to move away from society to sit with just the birds and and the beetles for company? In fact, Henry enjoyed the company of uh, Emerson and the other thinkers who shared his transcendentalist philosophy. But to him, the quiet of the pond 
and the animals and the plants that lived in around it, they provided excellent company. Sometimes Henry thought, the conversation you learn from most is the one in which the least is said. As he watched the last rays of light glistening on the pond, Henry thought about the biblical story about the prophet Elijah. Elijah crawled off to a mountain cave to listen for what God wanted him to do. And when Elijah stood outside his cave, a great wind whipped up around the mountains and sent boulders crashing down to the ground with, a, with its fury. But God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake rattled the mountain and there was a terrible rumbling. But God wasn't in the rumbling earthquake. Then a fire swept across the rocks and the brush outside the cave. It was red and roaring. But God wasn't in the fire either. Finally, after all the roaring and the crashing, everything became quiet. Elijah stood there shaking as you would with all of this stuff going on. He wrapped himself in his cloak and he just waited. And out of the silence came the still, small voice of his God. I'm not at all sure, thought Henry, that I believe in the God of the Bible, the one who decided to chat to Prophet Elijah. But where, whatever God is, I'm pretty sure I know it, about it better here in the quiet than I ever would through some ranting sermon. Maybe God speaks to me in that still, small voice of the jumping fish and the rustling leaves and the still pond and the stars beginning to peek out in the sky. Maybe I hear God when my heart is still and I can listen to my very smallest inner ear, just maybe. And his thoughts drifted off. They drifted away with a small breeze that came and it ruffled his hair and it rippled across the quiet lake. This is by Mary Oliver, called Coming to God, First Days. Lord, what shall I do that I can't quiet myself? Here is the bread, and here is the cup, and I can't quiet myself. To enter the language of transformation, to learn the importance of stillness with one hand folded. When will my eyes of rejoicing turn peaceful? When will my joyful feet grow still? When will my heart stop its prancing as over the summer grass? Lord, I would run for you, loving the miles for your sake. I would climb the highest tree to be that much more closer. 
Lord, I will learn also to kneel down into the world of the invisible, the inscrutable, and the everlasting. Then I will move no more than the leaves of a tree on a day of no wind, bathed in light, like the wanderer who has come home at last and kneels in peace, done with all unnecessary things, every motion, even words. I've been making Christmas cards since I was about five years old. Ever since my mum sat me down at the kitchen table with a paper and pen and got me to scrawl something on the paper. These days, my designs tend to be more, are more likely to be uh, computer generated. But I was inspired by Jane's uh, amazing lino cut of this church. And although I don't think I can compete at all, I might have a go with the lino. But way back then, and over the years, Mum and I developed a sort of production system for our Christmas cards. I would do the black and white outline drawing, and then she would go to the local printers in my hometown, and they would print out a load of them on card. Then we would colour them in. And my mum discovered that although the colouring started off quite ambitiously with lots of different colours involved, pretty soon it would lapse into a dash of red and green just here and there as my board- I hit my boredom threshold. In fact, one year I gave up com- colouring completely. I designed an elaborate 3D pop-up Christmas card. It was of a picture of Father Christmas coming out of a square chimney stack. The only catch was that it was a kit, and the person receiving the card had to colour it in and cut it out and stick it all together themselves. As you can imagine, that year, there were quite a few wry comments And I began to think that no one had found the time to colour in and put my card together. Not surprising, considering the busyness of the season. But then I visited my aunt's house, and there, in amongst the strings of cards on display, I spotted my card, beautifully coloured and assembled. I don't know if my aunt had spent the time cursing my complicated instructions or enjoying the time, taking the time out to do something creative while Christmas plans whirled around her. I'd like to think that it was the latter. The practice of doing something mindfully, be it concentrating on your breath or frying an egg or colouring in a Christmas card has the ability of stilling our muddled and distracted minds. In the Buddhist tradition, it has been around for thousands of years, but more recently, it has become an increasingly popular way to treat some mental health problems, as well as for general well-being. 
Stilling the mind is difficult, but allowing it to focus on one particular thing actually makes us more aware of the world around us, to see the world with new eyes. For me, it's not necessarily about meditating alone and in silence, although it can be. It's also possible to find that stillness by taking time out to do something that you really enjoy and which can take all of your attention. Take your attention away from everyday tasks, from family worries, and back to the here and now your spiritual centre. Research from, by the medical profession is now confirming that what, research by the medical profession is confirming now what contemplative peoples have known for centuries. Stillness and mindfulness are good for your whole being and for those around you. Our time together on Sunday gives us a chance to pause and reflect, but I wonder if one hour is really enough to get us through the week. How can we cultivate these pauses when we have so much to do? Perhaps that's when we need the pause the most. Take a moment now to think back over your past week. Perhaps there were times when it just felt too busy to breathe or that the stress of a situation showed in the behaviour that you encountered. Or maybe you did manage to find a pause, if only for a moment. Can you remember? What did you do? What did it feel like? Let's have a moment of reflection on that. (coughs) Now, whilst I hope that we can all find some more pauses in our Monday to Saturday existence... There is something special about being in a commu- still in a community too. Being still with others. It seems to be so rare that we get this opportunity to sit with others without feeling the need to chat or to succumb to outside distractions. Sometimes I struggle to pray or to meditate on my own But with others, there is a focus to my action or inaction. I began to wonder if there was some kind of way I could turn these distractions or frustrations into a kind of prayer itself. For various reasons, I have been on hold quite a lot recently. Banks, utility companies... I've been accustomed, become accustomed to a variety of hold music on the phone or bleeping or sometimes silence. When you're busy, this hanging on the line can really produce a kind of bubbling resentment 
How dare they keep me waiting when I have so many other important things to do? But I'm starting to think that these could be greeted as unexpected pauses in my day. If I go with the flow, rather than feeding my indignation, wouldn't that make things easier all round? Perhaps there are two approaches to waiting, kind of listless, annoyed waiting when something is not happening as quickly as we would wish, and that delicious anticipation for something which is just around the corner. In this Advent season, we are waiting for Christmas to come. Perhaps we can remember our younger selves waiting for that great day of gifts and food and games. Perhaps we still have a sensation of something special in this festival of lights which brightens up our darkest winters. It puts me in mind of a reading by Maureen Killoran, which I've slightly adapted here. It's called Come Christmas. No one is ever really ready for Christmas. If we were really all prepared, if every gift we had contemplated had been obtained, if every corner was beautifully decorated, if all the goodies our friends deserved were baked and cooled and stored just so, if each and every person we love was gathered for our celebration, if we never snapped at someone we care about, nor stopped short of being all that we could be, if our minds were always loving and our hearts were always generous, then we would truly be ready. And truly, we would not need Christmas quite so much. So come, Christmas, most needed of seasons. Come with the reminder that love does not depend on perfection, but on a willingness to risk connection. Come into the unready manger of our hearts, that we may feel the warmth of new life and give flesh to the promise of hope. The promise of hope that cries to bring healing to our world. Come Christmas, come love, come hope. Be born in our unready hearts on this silent and holy night. The 18th century Quaker John Woolman wrote that it is good for thee to dwell deep. And I'm drawn to this idea of dwelling deep. Coming to the end of term at college, I've observed some people joyfully looking forward to Christmas, but others just getting on each other's nerves. The product, perhaps, of many weeks of hard work and study and the need for a break. (coughs) And in the commercialization of Christmas, with marketing moves like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, 
the effort of buying the right gift at the right price becomes a chore rather than the pleasure of thinking about the act of giving and receiving and of new birth. Come Christmas, writes Maureen Caloran, most needed of seasons, be born in our unready hearts. And so, in the depths of this bustling season, may we take time to hear the still, small voice that rustled in the trees for Henry David Thoreau, the same inspiration that caused Mary Oliver to write, then I will move no more than the leaves on a tree on a day of no wind, bathed in light, like the wanderer who has come home at last and kneels in peace, done with all unnecessary things. Being still, in whichever way we choose to define it, can change us and can have an effect on those around us. In his book Celebration of Discipline, the theologian Richard Foster wrote, Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. And he quotes Leo Tolstoy's observation, Everybody thinks of changing humanity, and nobody thinks of changing himself. Let us be among those who believe that the inner transformation of our lives is a goal worth our best effort. As we make our way through the surprises, the stresses and the joys of this season, may we find a stillness, take time for a breath, if only because it's because we're on hold. Amen. Give us the strength of stillness and the courage to face whatever we may encounter in the coming week with the light of reason and compassion to illuminate the darkest winter. And through this light, may we become a blessing to each other and the world. Amen. Please be seated.